Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Joining you today, finally off the road, joining you today from Brooklyn, New York, my apartment in Brooklyn after about 26 of the last 30 days on the road. Very, very happy to record this on a Tuesday from my home instead of on the road. Uh, I had a great training camp tour. I saw 23 teams uh, in 22 stops ending on Monday of this week in Kansas City. Met Patrick Mahomes for a little bit. Um, and did a very, very fun project that I'll be telling you about in the coming weeks. But uh, for now, this week's podcast is going to be really a fun one. I have Jason Witten, the Dallas Cowboys tight end, formerly, obviously, the ESPN Monday Night Football analyst. Uh, he retired from football uh, about a year and a half ago to join ESPN. Then after one season, an ill-fated season, obviously, uh, Jason Witten quit the booth and returned to the Dallas Cowboys. You'll hear him talk about ESPN and football and life. You're going to like the interview. Then we also have Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Miami Dolphins quarterback, the well-traveled Miami Dolphins quarterback, um, who I had a conversation with on my stop in Davie, Florida at Dolphins camp. And uh, you'll enjoy him. He's got a, a great sense of humor, as you know. And we'll discuss Fitz magic. We'll discuss having seven children and uh, also chasing Philip Rivers for the, uh, the NFL lead in children. But uh, you'll enjoy those conversations. So I, I wanted to, while, I, while we have a minute, before we get to the conversations, Wanted to talk a little bit about the Antonio Brown helmet controversy. Um, for those who follow me on Twitter and who read my column, Football Morning in America, you may know that while on the road last week, last Thursday, uh, I went to the Vices helmet manufacturers uh, in Seattle. Uh, they have an office and their uh, testing lab is... Uh, in the area of Seattle where Google and Amazon, it's kind of the uh, South Lake Union district, and uh, they have basically really made a dent in the, in the, in the uh, uh, helmet scene right now. They've become, uh, for two years in a row now, they've had the best tested helmet of all the helmets that the NFL and NFLPA test together. And what I wanted to do was take a helmet from the Antonio Brown vintage. You know, he wears, or he has worn, uh, a Vices helmet that was uh, uh, over 10 years old, and that's why it was disqualified from use by the NFL, and he's still arguing about it. Um, and we tested that helmet, a, vi a, uh, a shut air advantage helmet from 2006. We tested that helmet against the vi current Vices helmet, and, um, you know, we, I'll just tell you what the results were when we tested it. The Vice's helmet is heavier uh, by eight-tenths of a pound, which is a big deal. You know, players like to wear uh, lighter helmets, and they like to feel lighter. So being exactly 0.83 pounds heavier is a is significant disadvantage for uh, the shut helmet, and most of the modern helmets will be heavier than his shut air advantage helmet. 
we also did an absorption of force test. Um, the uh, shut helmet, when hit by a battering ram, uh, re received uh, 73 Gs of force. And that's a very complicated measuring tool, but that is the measuring tool that the NFL and NFLPA testers use uh, to determine how much force is absorbed by the helmet uh, or how much force uh, it, you know, is put on the human brain uh, when it's hit. And the lower the number, the less force that is absorbed by the brain. So the shut helmet uh, received 73 Gs of force. The vices helmet, 53 Gs of force. Um, so it's better suited to take a really hard hit, uh, the vices helmet, by about 37%. In peripheral vision, the Vice's helmet was a lot better. I know that Brown has made comment that it's hard for him to see out of some of the helmets that he had tried. Um, <clears throat> well, the the field of view horizontally was 12% better in the newer helmet and 18% and, uh, uh, better north and south in the newer helmet. So, uh, you know, I, I think you, uh, you get the, the impression that the newer helmet, whether it be Vices, I'm, we could definitely have found a uh, you know a helmet made by either Shut or or Riddell, the two dominant manufacturers in the business. We definitely could have found one that would have tested, I believe, would have tested very well also. Uh, but I happen to be in Seattle. I know the people at Vices uh, from doing the podcast with them last year or earlier this year, rather. So. I wanted to do that. Uh, I wanted to at least try to advance the conversation. And um, so in the intervening time after that happened, I basically have been watching online with everybody saying many things, including let him wear what he wants uh, now that Antonio Brown is back but still fighting after losing his initial uh, argument against the NFL. Uh, you let him wear what he wants, number one. And I think the other problem or the other issue that, uh, that people have raised time and again, let him, let him sign a waiver so that as long as he plays football, he can never sue, uh, you know, if he gets CTE one day or as a state can never sue. And there's two arguments against those two things. Number one, this is not just something that the NFL sent an edict down about. The NFL and the NFLPA uh, have agreed to certain testing protocol for helmets. And if you count 63 players per team, which would include a 10-member practice squad, as of now, there's 2,015 players in the NFL who this year will wear an approved helmet by NFL and NFLPA testers working in concert. 2015 will wear an approved helmet, and there is one, Antonio Brown, who is fighting to wear a non-approved helmet. Now, you, this is not something that was decided unilaterally by the NFL. It was negotiated with the players. The union signed off on these rules. Antonio Brown is a member of the NFLPA, and he's got to abide by the work rules. Basically, he's not only fighting the NFL now, he's fighting the NFLPA. Um, it's really one of the strangest things I've ever heard. He's, uh, he's fighting to wear a less safe helmet. Uh, it's just, and, and look, I, I wrote this week in my column that if I were the Oakland Raiders, if I were Mike Mayock, the general manager, John Gruden, the head coach, I would basically send him, and I detailed this in my column this week, the five-day letter. And what that means is if a player is in violation of his contract and not showing up ready to practice, and right now Antonio Brown cannot go on the practice field with the current helmet uh, that, uh, that he, uh, he wants to wear. Um, so if he can't do that, then he technically is in violation of his contract when the Raiders go out to the field and practice in helmets because Antonio Brown cannot practice in the current helmet that he has. I'd send him the five-day letter, which basically says, if you do not 
report to practice within five days, report to the team ready to play and ready to fulfill your contract, we'll shut you down for the year, and uh, you won't be able to play for anyone else, and you won't get paid. So these are the kind of things right now that, that Mike Mayock, I'm sure, even though he's a rookie general manager, has to be considering. So enough about that. Maybe we could talk about real football in this podcast. Anyway, um, I wanted to alert you to two things that should get your attention. One, uh, Mike Florio has uh, his PFT PM podcast up this week, a really interesting conversation with Drew Brees. So that's the PFT PM podcast with Mike Florio. His special guest this week is Drew Brees. Also, I will have a... Uh, a two-part training camp uh, tour television show airing on NBC Sports Network. The first airing uh, of the first half of the show will be this Friday, August 23rd, 1 p.m. Eastern on NBC Sports Network. And the second part will air Monday the 26th at noon, also at the NBC Sports Network. That is noon Eastern time. So, DVR alert, please uh, set your DVR, watch this show, throw a lot of tomatoes at the screen, and uh, come along with me as, uh, as we go on our training camp tour. Uh, this one was a real fun one. Um, you know, we, we did, I did 116 interviews overall. The vast majority were on video, uh, so you're going to see a lot of people on this show. Um, from coast to coast, from training camp to training camp. Really was a, an interesting show, and I just, I just taped the close for it in Kansas City on Monday, leaving Chiefs training camp on Monday afternoon. So I would really uh, appreciate it if you, if you take a look at that show and uh, give me some feedback, either on Twitter, at Peter underscore King, um, or uh, in an email to me at peterkingfmia at gmail.com. That's peterkingfmia, the initials for Football Morning in America, uh, peterkingfmia at gmail.com. So without uh, any more of me, let's get to Jason Witten. I caught up with him at Dallas Cowboys training camp uh, one week ago. Uh, after the morning walkthrough, and uh, he was very open about what happened at ESPN and how he felt about <laughs> getting heavily criticized for the first time in his life. So here's Jason Witten. I'm in Oxnard, California today. Um, I'm sitting here at Dallas Cowboys training camp with Jason Witten, and uh, so Jason will get the the elephant in the training camp out of the way. <laughs> I never thought that I would see you in Oxnard, California again the rest of my life after you took your turn to television last year. Just give me a little rundown about how it's going and how you like being a football player again. Well, you, you know, the, your, your great friend Bill Parcells used to say the circus doesn't stay in town forever, but it does make a couple stops sometimes back through town. Uh, it's, it's great to be back out there. I'm enjoying it. You know, I, I put myself through a big test before I came back. So I felt like physically I could hold up and, and to my expectations, what I expect to do to convert third downs and, and make some plays for this offense. So uh, I'm really pleased. I got a, long, a lot of stuff to still knock the rust off and a lot of work to do. But uh, it's a good group of guys and love being back out there. Did you expect there to be a lot of difficulty coming back to football? I know you stayed in shape, but there's difference between working out in a hotel gym, you know, on Monday morning right. before you do a football game and being out here and doing your yoga and your, I mean, your everything. You know, I, I, I felt like it's been a fairly easy transition for me, you know, and I mean, I keep waiting for that day where I just, I don't know how I'm going to get through this one, you know, where, you, where the grind's just catching up to you and say, man, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through it. And I haven't had that day. And part of that's, you know, a lot of work's gone into that. And, and I think that's what made the decision so tough a year ago, different than probably Tony or even other guys when they decided to Tony retire. Tony yeah, yeah, different than him. You know, I didn't have those injuries. Yeah, I was 15 years in, and I knew that I was slowing down and all that kind of stuff. But 
I didn't know if I was done. And so, therefore, it made it me put in a, in a situation where I can still go. I can, I can play. And, and uh, you know, that feeling just never left. So, in saying that, it was an easy transition coming back. There's obviously restraining that you have to kind of fight through and early on. But um, physically, you know, I haven't felt anything that's like, ah, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. So, it's a good sign. Did you ever wake up in a hotel last year on a Monday morning about to do a football game and say, I miss football? I mean, playing football. Absolutely, every week. And, you know, I try to tell myself, like, hey, just keep fighting through it. You know, keep fighting through it. This is just part of the transition. It happens to a lot of guys. I, I knew that. I had friends retired. Um, and, you know, that's not to take away – the Monday night. I mean, that was fulfilling in a lot of ways. It was a new challenge, a great team uh, that, that to go, to be able to go into that situation every week. But I, I felt it early on and I just told myself like, ah, oh, man. And, and, you know, your emotions get you in that situation. And, you know, the Cowboys were struggling. I thought maybe I could help in some way. I don't know. Not that they're going to win. Did you think about coming back during the season? No, I didn't. You know, I, I think it, it, they got on a roll, and, and obviously, you know, you feel like you can help in some way. But, I mean, look, that team, they built it. You know, I, my thing was part of my role on a team is, like, you want to be a part of this training camp, as we sit here right now. You want to be a part of the yoga session and the meetings at night and, and you know, the, 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 the setting at the chow line and, and having those visits. And if you break out, you can go to dinner together. And, and the, the work, the shared commitment that goes into it, not to say, okay, they're back in the hunt. Here, let me go see if I can convert a couple first downs. I mean, yeah, but physically it's hard to do. And more than anything else, you want the respect of the teammates. And that's why, you know, I made the decision in March to so I could go through that process with, uh, with, with those players. When you would watch football last year on TV, take me into any week last year where you sat down maybe alone in your hotel room and you watched the Dallas Cowboys on television. What was that like for you? <laughs> it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, from, from minute one, I thought after I called a game, I said, man, I thought I'd enjoy calling the game a little bit more than I probably did. I, I thought I would enjoy that part of it. Uh, didn't have the fulfillment that I thought I probably would. Uh, on that stage of Monday Night Football and, you know, being a fan of the game for a long time. You know what Bruce Arians <clears throat> said about doing TV? At the end of the day, you know, what was really hard is not caring who won. Right. He said, I want to I wanna be, I, I be on a team. I want to I really care who wins this game. Right. You know, which is my team. And he said, it's kind of hard not having a team. It is hard. And it's even harder – knowing that you do have a team and you can help that team in some way and you made a decision not to be a part of that team, you know. So I would add to that uh, from, from what Coach Arian said. And I felt it early on. Uh, we were in Oakland going to call the Rams uh, and, and the Raiders week one. And, you know, you're in some production meetings Sunday morning. We're kind of prepping for the game on Monday night. And uh, it was like, you know, 10 o'clock in, in Oakland and it was a 1 p.m. Uh, in Carolina. And I kind of just snuck off, went to the room by myself, you know, and just kind of watched the game. And that was the first time I really felt it where I thought, I don't know, man, this is going to be hard. This is going to be <laughs> – this is a lot of emotions that – Was your emotion come up with kind of what have I done? Yeah, it was, you know. And I, I really think you try to make decisions the best you can in real time. And if you go back – and I have gone back and played it out through my head, you know, gosh, I think – a lot of guys would, when you get that opportunity, you'd say, "Man, if you're wanna... 35 years old and somebody says, come on and do Monday Night Football,' I mean, I don't yeah. want to say how can you say no, but yeah. I mean, how can you say no?" Yeah, and that was it. And I think fast forward nine months, just uh, there was something pulling me inside. Said, "Hey, there, there, there's something left in the tank. There was a fire inside me that says I think I can help a football team." And I realize, uh, you know, that there, this isn't just going to be some fairy tale ending. It doesn't work that way. This is a show me game. You got to go out there and prove it. I, I you want to get humbled, line up and play in the National Football Play Football League for one snap. It'll humble you real quick. So I knew, hey, listen, the challenge now is getting myself ready back, 
you don't want to be a shell of yourself as a player. And uh, so worked really hard. And, you know, a lot of guys have believed in me, made a commitment to me. And fortunately, Jerry and Steven gave me the opportunity. And so uh, I feel like I got a lot to prove. And I'm enjoying every day. And, and I bring a new perspective because not only did I think I've become a better player from that experience last year, but I think I became a better person. You know, when you go through something like that and now you, you bring a little bit of different perspective and you probably smell the roses a little bit on, on this uh, next opportunity. With Jason Witten of the Dallas Cowboys, Jason, you probably in the span of three months were criticized more for your television work <laughs> than you were in a decade and a half as a football player. You were savaged by a lot of television critics. How did it affect you and how much did you pay attention to it? The first thing that I did when I signed up with ESPN was I, I, I felt I wanted to share kind of my mindset to social media from a player's perspective. And I spent a lot of time because that was, was a great, by the way, that was a great story. Oh, thank you. That thank was you. really a good story. Was, and you know what? It's necessary. It was, it was necessary, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I felt it. And I, I wanted players of all ages, college, pro, to experience that and not to allow that to affect their mindset, you know. And, and you really have to block it out as an athlete because you've got to have that mental clarity when you go out there and play. And if, you're allowing, if you want that approval, we're never going to get what we want to get to as a football team or a, as any team. Um, but my words got put to test, you know, because <laughs> I, I just thrown into the fire in a hurry. And you know what was tough about it, Peter, was, you, you know, you, you'd finish a game and I, and I could tell bef before even – and I did look sometimes. You know, I think you, you got to know what the narrative is out there. Right. You know, and so you got to keep up with it and try to have a little bit of fun with it early on. Uh, when you make a mistake. Um, but the, but the, the interesting part was friends, loved ones, family, you know, the, the text messages is like, you know, look, we didn't die, guys. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like, everything's going to be okay. And that's the, it affects everybody else that you come in contact yeah. with because they're reading it and they're, they want to encourage you. But uh, so I, I, I – and I think for our team, constantly having to – reinforce to them of hey guys we're okay you know and at that point I think I think we would have been successful it would have been a long game approach yeah we, we, we were gonna have to shift gears there um and I mean if you in other words first of all I want to ask this question if you wanted to come back to ESPN for 2019 are you positive you could have come back for 2019? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, yeah. we met after the, our playoff game, and, uh, you know, the, the leadership was committed to us. You know, a lot of things to correct, a lot of things right. we were working on. Uh, you know, I feel like we finished strong when Booger came on the, into the booth, and it was a little bit, I think, easier transition for us. Right. And, you know, we all, had, uh, we all had things that we could learn from and, and draw on and get better at, and certainly I had my things that uh, I wanted to improve on. So – uh, yeah, I think it would have been it would have been a long game approach at that point, you know, right. of like, hey, listen, let's just stack some good games on each other. But you hear the noise. I mean, you're not immune to that. Uh, it's different because my whole feeling on on and I would study it and I, I approached it much like I did as a player. And, uh, I felt like I was starting to get better. But, you know, when you listen and you talk and it's like, OK, show me a good tight end. Well, let me watch Tony Gonzalez. Let me watch Robin Krause. Gronkowski and see them run routes, block, how they try to attack man coverage, inside leverage versus outside leverage, and you can learn. And then the real good ones can kind of piggyback off of that and add it into their game. Um, in television, calling a game, I found like you really can't define it, really can't explain to others, but we just know it's good when we, when we hear it. You know, and that was the challenging part of there was moments there where like, oh, that's really good. You know, but it was trying to stack those on top of each other that I think was a challenge for me. You make some mistakes, and, and, and you're swimming in the deep end. Monday yeah. Night Football is a deep end. It is it's exactly end. where you want to be. Um, but but you, I went through adversity, certainly. And uh, I learned a lot about myself when going through What'd that. You what did you learn about yourself, really? Well, I, I think what I really learned about myself was, you know, I've always prided myself coming in this league under Parcells was like, you know, I missed one game. And I think that was the turning point when I broke my jaw that I came back and was like, oh, wow, this guy loves football. He wants to play. 
And I always felt like I was mentally tough, physically tough, that can kind of fight through things and all that. But going through that year, I truly found an inner confidence that I had in myself that, you know what, yeah, I'm new at it. But I was never mad about, you know, and that's what I would always kind of convey to the, our team and other guys. Like, listen, that's natural. If you mess up, you say, you know, pull a rabbit out of his head and, 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 and instead of a rabbit out of the hat, you know, like, okay, it's a natural mistake, yeah. you know. I, I you know what's funny cr- about criticized. that one? You know, I said to somebody when you said, and it, 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 I forget, what game was that? It was pull- Green Bay, uh, San Francisco. It wasn't supposed to be a game, and, and, and Aaron got the ball back against a bad San Francisco 49ers team. Yeah. And it's like somehow, some way, they're not playing well. 49ers have no business being in this game, but they are. Yeah. But it's the 49ers, and I just expect Aaron Rodgers to pull a rabbit out of his hat. You know, yeah. Yeah. instead of hat, I said head. So, yeah. you know, there you go. And it was like it's a pretty clean game. You know, it's funny. There was a couple moments there where, you know, Richard Sherman pulls the – he always plays on the outside. He never plays in the slot, ever. You go yeah. watch 10 years of football on Richard Sherman, he's never in the slot. He's always on the outside. And he grabs the young corner and tells him, like, they're throwing it to the other guy. You get outside. I'm going to guard him. You know, and I remember, like, being on top of it in that moment. And our, and our director and our producer, they fall right into it. And we show Richard, like, switching spots. And it was like, in the moment, I was like, man, that's a great play. You know, which that was following the rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, but you know what I was going to tell you, you about? You never f- see that. And my point in all yeah. that was you, it never really affected me in yeah. that regard of, you know what? I know that I'm tough. I know mentally it's tough, and you can continue to work on the, the same things of uh, that made me the player that I am. I felt like I had a lot of confidence and conviction of I'm that same guy, you know. Yeah. And, and I so, in other words, if you went through another year, you were going to work at it, and you were going to become really good. Yeah, I think yeah. so. You know, and I mean, hey, look, that was your say, that was your mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had a ton to clean up, you know. Yeah. I, and. Um, you know, there's an art to calling a game, and yeah. it's a talent. It's a skill. It's amazing. You know, what is interesting about that is that you really have to be very, very smart and relaxed in eight-second bursts. You know, you can't talk for 17 seconds and make the point that you really want to make. You just don't have time. Yeah, and I think that's where, it, if I look back on my mistakes, was, you know, really good football content, uh, if anything, and then relaxed settings were relaxed, but we, we may have got a little loose right. at times. Um, and, and you know what? Then you start pressing like anything. And you, you just you look back and you watch and you're like, I just need to relax. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, But like anything, when you're in the heat of the battle, it's easier said than done. And, uh, I did. I learned a lot, and I'll, I'll take that with me, not only on the field, but – you know, in life through, through that experience. There's two other things I wanted to ask you. One is, when you woke up in a hotel room on Monday morning last year and you're going to do a game versus waking up on Sunday morning and you're on your way to the Meadowlands and you got a 1 o'clock kick against the Giants, I want you to compare, if you can, your what you feel like when you wake up in the morning on Sunday morning in New Jersey and you got to face the Giants versus Monday morning in a hotel wherever and you got to do a game for ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I I was so appreciative of that opportunity, but it doesn't even compare. You know, Sunday morning in the Meadowlands waking up, I mean, I've never been more alive in my life. And for those three hours, it's I, there's not a better feeling in my life, and there won't be, then then that emotion and the energy and the mental focus and the clarity and, you know, being driven like that. Um, you know, when you're calling a game, a little bit of it is like, let's just don't screw it up, <laughs> yeah. you know, and how quickly can we get back home to, to see our family, you know. Yeah. And it's a great group of guys. There is a team mentality that goes into that. But there's also of, you know, it's like, I didn't help the team. I didn't help them win, you know. I mean, yeah, maybe the ratings got up, went up a little bit. But I think for football guys, you know, it's like you're old soldiers. You're always just kind of around the game. That's what you bring to it. And um, for me, I don't really have a lot of ton of things outside of my life, my family certainly, that I, I 
wake me up in the morning that I want to make a difference in, you know, and, and football is that. And in some ways you can. I mean, certainly Tony Romo's done that with kind of his perspective that he's brought. I think Troy and you look at Chris, I mean, they're making a difference in the game. I don't want to minimize that. Right. But uh, not in the way a coach or a player does and being around the game. And, and that was tougher for me than I thought. So when I say I thought I would enjoy it a little bit more, I just think – the learning experiences was like growth as a player, meaning what I enjoyed was I loved going out in week one and hearing about the trade that just happened three days prior of Khalil Mack and, and understanding John Gruden's perspective on that and Mark Davis's perspective. And the next week going to Chicago and hearing Matt Nagy and these guys talk about why they made this trade. And, and, and that was the football side of it. And I catch myself at night after I took notes and just like, hey, what, would I, what would I have done? You know, yeah. when I've traded that, you know, but they got the extra first-round pick, you know. What would you think of the Khalil Mack trade? Oh, man. Gosh. I understand that John was playing a long-game approach, and you know, I don't know what his communication was with Khalil prior to that, but I don't – there's dominant players in this game. And when you get a dominant player, those you things don't are trade precious them. gold. Yeah. You don't yeah. trade them. I, I I agree. Even though even though they got a great return for him, absolutely, they, they really got a good return. But I'm I'm in your I'm in your league. I want to end and just ask you this one more thing: Are you going to be any good? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, yeah, I'm going to be really good. And uh, so many times when you come back. What's your role? Are you going to be like, listen, I'm not going to get caught up in the roadkill of that. Um, I think I'm going to be really good. I worked hard on it. Um, my expectations for myself have always been higher than anybody can put on you. Uh, do I catch 100 passes? Probably not. Um, but can I help this football team win games? I believe so. And, uh, you know, that's – that's the ultimate challenge. I got to show that, but I got a lot of reasons to feel like I need to go prove it, motivated to do it. And I tell you, Peter, this this young team, you know, it's a talented roster, and so the impact you can have on a daily basis, on the field certainly, but off the field as well. Um, you know, I, every day I'm thinking, how can I make better through my experiences, and to show me game. I was taught that early on as a 21 year old kid green as can be coming into Dallas it's a show me game you better be able to show it and uh you know look I'll live with the results because uh I, I know what I'm all about Jason Witten thanks so much and really thanks for your honesty your frankness and uh I just think a lot of times in life you have to know who you are and you have to know what you love you do and uh, I love your decision oh thanks Peter appreciate it so I ran into Ryan Fitzpatrick at Dolphins training camp, sat down with him for a bit, um, and he's had such an interesting career. 250th pick in the draft, played college football at Harvard. Um, it, would have been, it would have surprised no one if uh, he didn't last in the NFL. But now, a decade and a half later, he's got a good chance to start for another NFL team. I give him a lot of credit for hanging in there and uh, and really having an excellent career. I mean, how many players who were the 250th pick in the draft, you know, basically have been, if he starts this year, it'll be the sixth team that he's started for, either regularly or semi-regularly. Um, so here's Ryan Fitzpatrick of the Miami Dolphins. You know him, of course, as uh, Fitzmagic, and uh, one of the most interesting careers, in my opinion, in recent NFL history. And just to recount everything, Ryan was the 250th pick in the draft after a storied and legendary career in Cambridge, Massachusetts, <laughs> for the Harvard Crimson. And... You know, he's sort of, he's been on eight teams. This is his eighth team, the Miami Dolphins. And we're going to recount part of that journey 
here today. But anyway, we're, we're in uh, Davie, Florida, in the Dolphins practice facility, luckily escaping the 98-degree heat index outside. But, Ryan, really, really happy to have you on the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, it is a lot cooler in here than it was outside <laughs> today, that's for sure. But still, so that everybody knows, you have your NHL playoff beard, which you really have made famous. Yeah, so I, I we just need trimmed it though. This you is, trimmed yeah, it. Yeah, this is this is like training camp trim right here. Wow. Yeah. Are you gonna trim it at all the rest of the year? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those things. My wife said it enough to where I knew I had to at least act like I was gonna cut it a little bit. Yeah. And uh, but I'll probably let it go from here on. Where? I mean, this is gonna be an odd conversation anyway. But where did you get the beard? idea and why did the beard become such an important part of you well i i couldn't really grow a beard rookie year second year third year maybe a little bit my fourth year in cincinnati but it wasn't until i was in buffalo and i just kind of let it go one year obviously it gets cold there you know we practice outside a lot and so i felt like Growing it out, giving myself a little bit of protection was going to help. And uh, people started calling me the Amish rifle a little bit, which I thought was pretty funny. And from either 2009 or 2010 on, I think it might have been more towards 2010 in Buffalo, uh, I just decided that I was going to be a guy with a beard. Um, Has it ever in a game gotten yanked or pulled painfully? No, it, it never has. A lot, a lot of time, it's hiding. I mean, under my chin strap, but uh, it's hiding. Every now and again, something funny that'll happen. I enjoy chewing gum when I play, and so one of the mustache hairs will get stuck in the gum. You know, I have to kind of, kind of bite it out, which is a little bit gross. But then I know it's time for a lip trim. Yeah. Um, so Ryan, I, I, I want to go in a little bit in re, in inverse order, but. Last year in Tampa, I remember after, I forget, the second or third week, every week in my column, I put in, you know, MVP watch. And, you know, if you had ever told me that I would have you after two or three weeks of an NFL season as the leader in the clubhouse for MVP, I'd have been a little bit surprised. I want you to go back to that time last year in Tampa and just tell me what it was like to play that well for an extended period, and why did it happen? I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. It was fun to be caught up in it, and, uh, you know, the last few years, even before that, at the end of every season, I had to kind of reevaluate with my family growing and my kids getting older and, you know, the move starting to How many kids do you have? We have seven. Wow. And how old are they? So uh, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, and 6 months. Are you ever going to catch Phillip Rivers? I texted him, and I told him I can't catch you if you keep having him. So, you know, right now we're kind of stuck. I think he might have two more than me. He's got he just, two more than you now. Yeah, so I, I don't think I'll ever catch him. I think <laughs> I think seven is a good number for us. Yeah, it's but a lucky number. It's a lucky number. Yeah. Um, where And where, where do they live during the season? So every season they live wherever I'm playing – and uh, this will be the first year they're going to stay in Tampa and I'll be here. So it'll be a little bit different in that regard. Um, is it good that because it's not so far you can get there? That was However, part of it. That yeah. played into it a little bit. Uh, and even through OTAs and some of the offseason stuff, just a quick drive or a quick flight depending on you know the weather and what I was you doing. You know Alligator week. Alley then, driving I do. I know Alligator Alley now, yes. Yeah. I learned all about it. What's the so. fastest you've made that drive? About four? Four I go the speed limit the whole time. So I know. <laughs> I think like three, you could definitely do it under four. So it's wow. 345, I think. That's pretty good. Yeah. We just made that drive last night. We were at Bucks Camp yesterday. Okay. And uh, it's never ending. Yeah. It's a never ending drive. Yeah. But it's, it's always, for me, it's always fun going to Tampa because I know what's going to be there. You know, yeah. at the end, I get to see my kids and all that. But sometimes on the way back after, you know, leaving a little bit late, it does just seem like it's never ending. Yeah. Um, what What do you think was the key last year for you? Was it having some really talented receivers? Was it your kinship with 
Dirk Cutter. What what do you think happened for everything to come together so well? I think I think it was a wonderful combination of all those things. I think the talent on that team on the offensive side of the ball um, was as good as every anywhere I've been. Uh, I meshed really well with Deshaun Jackson. I meshed really well with Mike Evans. Uh, O.J. Howard really got going. Yeah. And that's then you don't even you know that's not even mentioning Chris Godwin and Adam Humphreys and there was a lot Chris of Chris Godwin's there. a heck of a player, he really um, is he, good. He's, yeah, he's one of if not the most impressive rookie when he came in yeah. that I've seen. Just in terms of a seasoned guy that was mature and really almost became a leader of that room as a rookie by the way that he worked. Um, but just the relationship with with Dirk and with Todd Munkin. I uh, felt like it was an offense that really suited who I was and what I did well, and they played to my strengths a little bit. Um, and just the timing of it, too, and the, the what I was going to say was, you know, reevaluating every year, like, do I still want to do this? Do I still want to play? And I just, I love playing football. So I was able to go out there with nothing to lose and just go play and have fun. And the month of September 2018. Compared to your entire NFL career, is it the most fun you've had in the NFL? So, the, I mean, the two other times that come to mind, right. we went on a nice five-game win streak late when I was with the Jets in 2015. Right. And I think that team and how close we were and the veteran group that we had, especially on the offensive side of the ball with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker and Nick Mangold and DeBrickashaw. That was, that, was that the hard knocks here? Uh, no, that was, was not the not. Hard Knocks year. Okay. No, that was that, that was before that. I think when were Rex you on the team there. in the Hard Knocks no, year? No, I wasn't. No. Yeah. No. So you did not go and get a goddamn snack? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Yeah. That, and then the other time just coming to mind would be the beginning of 2011 with Buffalo, and it was a bunch of no-name guys, and we just went out there and you know played really well early. And, Can you and tell me about your? Me- I was going to ask you about Buffalo. What are your memories about Buffalo, particularly the way I look at it? There's two stadiums that I think quite literally shake when their team is doing well. One is in Seattle and one is in Buffalo. Used to shake in Washington in the old stadium, but these two stadiums, there is nothing like a Buffalo Bills crowd when the Bills are doing great. So I I just want you to go back and, and try to recollect your experience in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Buffalo. Um, you know, we would go out and play, have a great time on Sundays, and then come back home and do Crock-Pot Sunday, where it was just a potluck, and all the neighbors, you know, would come, and we would just sit outside with the kids and, you know, drink beer and have fun. And it was just that kind of place that it's it's very much small town. Everybody knows everybody, but it's it, there were just great people there. And in you know, that's probably my fondest memory. But, um, you know, even as you had said, when 2011, we got it going. I think we were 6-2 and two to start the season, and we beat the Patriots early. And that it was just – Where was the game, was Buffalo or Foxborough? Buffalo. Yeah. And so that – So yeah, what was it? What was it? special moments for me, yeah. that that one – What is, do you remember the beating the Patriots in the great and all-powerful Belichick in your stadium? What, what, what happened that day? Um, I mean, it was such a – you know, and it, obviously – they are great. They've been the best for a long time. But just to look into the crowd and to see how excited the fans were and to see a guy like Fred Jackson who had you know, been in yeah. Buffalo for a while and guys that just hadn't been able to experience that and the way that we won at the very end um, was something that will never, never leave me. Yeah. Why do you think you made it? And why do you think you've lasted through eight teams? Well, I, I think if you, if you were to if, – if I were to uh, time travel and I was the 250th pick this season, I think it's a lot harder. I, I think Why? just because of the, the number of jobs that are out there, I think there's fewer. There are teams that go to two quarterbacks, you know, and maybe have a third on the practice squad. Instead of having three and a fourth on the practice squad, I think the lack of uh, practice time in the off season really hurts guys that aren't first and second round picks to kind of cozy up and find a spot and develop a little bit so I think I was fortunate to come in when I did I think for me just being a guy that can be reliable that can come in and quickly pick up a system um, a good locker room guy that 
you know, really just get along with my teammates and like to have a good time. I think all that has played into my favor. What's the What's the best locker room you were in? The warmest, the most fun, the most prank-filled, the uh, the coolest, the one that when you're 50 years old, you know, you'll tell your kids, man, we, we really had a lot of laughs in place X. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, right away my mind goes to Buffalo, uh, and it also goes to that 2015 New York team. I mean, those two locker rooms. Uh, you know, there's just a bunch of a bunch of special people in there, and it's it. When you talk about a locker room, I mean, it's the guys, but it's also the staff. It's the equipment guys. It's the trainers. You know, it's the support staff in that building, and um, you know, plenty of lifelong friends from those experiences. We'll finish with this. When I sort of think about your career, I think about somebody who's basically had three roles. One is a guy who had to scratch and claw to make a roster when you're drafted by the Rams and you go to Cincinnati and you're, you're, nothing is guaranteed. And then you play pretty well and everybody says, okay, he deserves a spot, so let's see what that spot is going to be. And you've also had the kind of success that, you know, Dirk Cutter in Jacksonville wants you to help mentor Jameis Winston. So you've gone from being sort of a, a guy who is just scratching and clawing to try to make a roster to playing, to have some success, to mentoring. You're probably going to do the same thing this year with Josh Rosen. Tell me about those roles and how it's been for you to have to do all of them. Well, I, I think it starts with me just loving this game. I mean, I really do, and I love all aspects of this game. I love the X's and O's part of it. I love the relationship part of it. I love the competitive part of it, whether it's in practice or on Sundays. And the other thing that I love about it, and I think something that might be a little sick, you know, and twisted <laughs> in my mind, is I love the adversity of it. I, I love that my career hasn't been, you know, a straight path, that there's been so many ups and downs and things. Uh, and now as my kids get older, too, where they can, I always think about them looking at me and me reacting the right way in certain situations and, you know, when a game doesn't go well, not changing my personality or changing who I am, but holding my head up high and continuing to work hard. Like those are, those are all things that I really pride myself on. And, you know, the whole mentorship role, that's somebody has to be willing to be you know, mentored, first of all. But the second part of it is I just try to be myself and I try to do things the way that I've done them to make me successful and to make me last as long as I have and hope that you know, they pick some of the stuff up along the way. Jason Garrett once asked Derek Jeter about why he was such a great leader. And I think he wanted his leaders on his Dallas team to be a little bit louder, to uh, lead by voice, not only by example. And uh, Jeter told him something to the effect of, I, you're not going to hear me in the locker room. I'm not, I don't say very much at all. I just get out and I take my 150 ground balls and I hope that people see what I'm doing because that's why I am where I am. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with what I said. It's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's great. And I also think just a quick little tidbit that you'd like to know. Yeah. When I got drafted, when I got called by Mike Martz in 2005 to tell me that I was the 250th pick in the draft, I was on the phone with Jason Garrett and I hung up on him. He was, <laughs> was the Dolphins quarterback coach at the time. Why he wanted to sign you as a free agent after yeah, the draft? Yeah, and you know, it was he was also a bit of a mentor for me in that he was a Princeton guy, and we had yeah. talked a little bit through. Uh, yeah, and I just saw I had a you know another call, and I hung up on him, and you know, it would be kind of fun if your last year in the NFL you played for Jason Garrett. <laughs> that would be good. Would be who good. knows? Yeah. Who knows? Hey, I got to ask you one other thing. How did you get the name Fitzmagic? So I, I think it originated uh, in 2011. We had a little run, and somebody made up a song. Like somebody, one of the crazy Bills DJs Mafia, or, Buffalo yeah. fans uh, put out a song about it, and it kind of caught on from there a little bit. Ryan Fitzpatrick, hope you play another 10 years. You've been, you've been really, really fun to watch over the years. Thank you. I appreciate it. My thanks to... Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jason Witten for joining me on the podcast. Um, got a few others lined up and banked. Uh, you'll hear my live podcast with Philip Rivers 
from Chargers training camp next Wednesday. Um, and you're not going to want to miss that. It was a very good conversation with Rivers. In the meantime, uh, the Peter King Training Camp Tour TV show, two parts, a half hour on Friday, August 23rd, 1 p.m., and a half hour at, on Monday, August 26th at noon, both on the NBC Sports Network. They will replay these. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore King, uh, to uh, uh, see all the dates that it will be uh, re-aired. Uh, but set your VCRs, um, uh, or whatever they call them these days. The VCR was when I was your age. <laughs> the DVRs, I guess now. Set those Friday, August 23rd, 1 p.m. Eastern. Monday, August 26th, noon Eastern on NBC Sports Network. Thanks a lot for listening this week. Look forward to giving you more to listen to in the coming weeks. and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.